Okay, good evening, gentlemen. Welcome back. Good morning, Rabbi. And a uh, pleasure being here, of course, with all the familiar and beloved faces and Yidin that we have over here, wrapping up uh, a week. The Baruch Hashem, we've received good news. Yes. We should continue to receive it exponentially. Well, today was a hard day. Today was a mixed, mixed day amongst and amidst the uh, celebrations of our brothers and sisters being returned. Uh, we lost a few more today, unfortunately. Unfortunately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should avenge them. should be the end of suffering for Kla Yisrael. And the rest of our brothers and sisters that are still being held, Rahman Aslan, in unbelievable, unmanageable un, 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 conditions should be returned home and Shem should send them healing as well. Return them home and send them healing. Send them healing. All the healing that they need. Anyway, so... Uh, you should keep davening, of course. Keep davening. And, and um, it's Parshas Vayetzei. Actually, it's Parshas Vayishlach. Yeah. It's happened over the Vayetzei, but it's the yes. one that comes after Vayetzei. That, of course, that's what we mean to say. Vayishlach, Rebbe Herschel is correct. Doesn't miss a beat over here, Rebbe Herschel. And Vayishlach, let's talk a little bit about Vayishlach. A lot's going on in Vayishlach. It's a big Parsha, bumper, bumper Parsha over here. Back to a lot of things. It's the... Uh, Part three, really, right? Of the three Parsha series that begins with Toldus. Toldus, Vayetze, Vayishlach, right? Toldus is the beginnings of Yaakov and Esav. Vayetze is Yaakov's <clears throat> travails, formative challenges that he has, faces in the house of Lavan. And Vayishlach, of course, he comes back to Eretz Yisrael, has the showdown with Esav, and faces more travails and trials as he enters Eretz Yisrael. And let's examine some of the some of the uh, encounters that Yaakov encounters and try to connect actually maybe some of these dots and try to see a kind of a thread and <clears throat> you know that thread that, that does indeed have to run through all these parshias and use that maybe to guide us in asking questions and maybe to use it in, in guiding us to answering the questions. So first of all, <clears throat> Vayishlach continues exactly where Vayetze left off. Vayetze leaves off with Yaakov fleeing the house of Lavan. Not dissimilar to how he fled from Esav to begin with. He flees Lavan. Lavan catches up to him. He has his own showdown with Lavan. And then he bids farewell to Lavan and comes into Eretz Yisrael and starts, starts approaching Eretz Yisrael. That brings us to the beginning of Vayishlach where he has to face Esav, and before he faces Esav, he faces Esav's mouth. Now, in Vayetze, Yaakov Inu is in Lavan's house in Charan for 14 long years before he finally decides it's time to go. Finally decides it's time to go after being there for 14 years. <clears throat> and Rashi tells us this coincides with an, with an event. There is something that indicated to Yaakov that it was time to go. How did Yaakov know when it was time to leave Lavan's house? Let's go back to Vayetze. What tipped him off? How does he know it's time to leave? An event occurs. What happens that, that, that he knows now it's time to leave? So Rashi says, when Yosef is born, when Yosef is born in Vayetze, that's when Yaakov knows it's time to go. Let's see that together. This is, uh, if you have the, the, the big blue one, it's page 158. If it's it's Perik Lamed. Chapter 30, Pasik. I'm sorry, page 156 in the big blue one. It's still Paraglamado. Pasik, 
Chafhei, 25, chapter 30, verse 25, Lamed Chafhei, Vayhi, says the Pasuk, and it came to pass, Kasher Yolda Rochel is Yosef, when Rochel gave birth to Yosef, Vayomer Yaakov, the love, and Yaakov says to love him, Shacheni, let me go, Ve'elchel Mekaymu Laartzi, it's time for me to go home. So the Pasuk is qu- quite clear over here that there is some connection between Yosef being born and Yaakov saying it's time to go home. Right? Vayomer Yaakov, the so Kasher, the Pasuk says quite clearly when Ye- Rachel gave birth to Yosef, Yaakov says, "Eleven, time to go. Shalcheni, send me home. It's time for me to go home." When Yosef is born, why does Yaakov only decide it's time to go home when Yosef is born? If he says, "Eleven's house not a good place to be," ostensibly Yaakov came there to get married. He came there to get married. He got married. He married to Rachel. He married to Leah. Married to Bill. Married to Zilpah. As soon as he has all these chasnas, he should go back. <clears throat> the Torah makes it a point of telling us. That when Yosef is born, that's when he goes back. So Rashi fills us in with a little bit more information over here. Rashi, um, when Yosef is born, Rashi says, Kasher Yolda Rochel. As Yosef says, Rashi, Mishanoi Letzit Neshel Esav. Once Yosef is born, we have the adversary of Esav, the opponents of Esav. Yaakov knows that who's waiting for him when he comes back. Esav is waiting. Yaakov knows he needs a secret weapon against Esav. And Yosef is the secret weapon. He can't face Esav without the weapon, without, without the anti-Esav. Shenemar, where do you see that Yosef is the secret weapon against Esav? says, It shall be that the house of Jacob shall be fire, the house of Yosef shall be a flame, and the house of Esav will be also a flame. Straw. But the one word, a flame, because it will be a house of straw. That's right. The original proverbial straw house is the house of Esav, the house of Esau. And... It will be a flame and set ablaze from the flame of Yosef. So you see this Pusik that Beis Yaakov is a fire, but a fire without a flame can't do anything. It has to be flamed. The fire is just a, a little um, fire that they can't catch on anything, that can't be spread to anything. The flame is the idea of the fire having mobility and being able to catch onto things. And Rashi says that Yosef is the flame for Yaakov's fire, and it's the flame that he needs to burn down the house of Esau. Why did Jacob worry about Esau, that he was going to, you know, protect him from Esau? So if is asking, if I understand correctly, a good question that can be asked in general, I'm, I'm going to sidestep for a moment, step aside for a moment to answer this question. Um, why was Yaakov so worried about Esau altogether? Like, why was he so nervous about Esau? Um, the beginning of this week's parsha, he says, "Hasileni no miad ochi miad Esav. Hashem, spare me from Esav. Save me from Esav. He's coming to kill me. He's coming to kill me. Esav's a bum, right? Esav's a bum. That's right. Esav's a Russia. He's a Russia. He's a bum. Since when does Yaakov the tzaddik? I mean, Yaakov spent 14 years in yeshiva. He spent 20 years in the house of Lavan. He says he loved Garti, Vitari, Mrs. Shamarti. I kept all the mitzvahs there for 20 years. I've been chazering shas for the last 20 years." He's got to worry about Ace of the Bum. Since when do we worry about bums? So this is Reb Herschel's question, if I'm understanding Reb Herschel correctly. And there's a fascinating, again, this is not the, our, our, our um, um, goal so much tonight. This is not what we were going to be developing this point tonight, but I'm going to, once it was brought up, it's a good question. We're going to just answer that, give, a, give, a, give an, uh, an immediate answer. So so uh, the Rishonim say, the Balei Taisa say, there was two things that Yaakov was actually worried about. Two merits that Esav had over Yaakov. Esav had an upper hand. He had an advantage over Yaakov in two areas. 
And that's what Yaakov was worried about. Yeah, of course Yaakov says, Tariq Mr. Shamarti. Yaakov is a shalim. Yaakov is a tzaddik. Yaakov is not a bum. And Esav is a, is a bum. He's not just a bum. Not just a bum. He's a big bum, right? Uh, nevertheless, there's two things that Esav has over Yaakov. And that's where Yaakov was petrified, was scared. The two things that Esav has over Yaakov, says the Bali Taisis. Who wants to guess? What did Esav have over Yaakov? Two things Esav has that Yaakov didn't have. What? Kibodav Aim. Excellent. Yaakov. What, Yaakov wasn't a tzaddik? He didn't do Kibodav Of course he did, he did not do Kibodav because the last 20 years he's been living in Galavan's house. What kind of opportunities has Yaakov had to do? Kibodav is exactly right. Very good. Very good. Excellent. So one thing that Esav has over Yaakov is that Esav has had 20 years of Kibodav Aim. And there's one thing that Esav excelled in was Kibodav So he had that 20 years over Lavan, over, over Yaakov. Yaakov, we think about it, he had 20 years that he wasn't doing Kibbutz Avim, and not only that, we're told that that um, there was actually a violation of Kibbutz Avim. He should have gone back sooner, because he only went to get married, and he stayed an extra six years to make all this money, and as a result of him not being by his parents for 22 years, he lost the Yosef for 22 years, but that's a different story for a different time. Okay, so Esav had Kibbutz Avim over Yaakov. There's one thing also that Esav had for 20 years that Yaakov didn't have for 20 years. Two schosim that Esav had over Yaakov. What was the other one? Who can figure out? It's not so hard. It's got to think sideways. There are two things that Esav had over Yaakov. Not only Esav had over Yaakov, they had for 20 years, and Yaakov didn't have for 20 years. One of them was Kibbutz of Aim. Oh, come on, Linda Bam. Go for a du- go, go double or nothing. What? Living in Eretz Yisrael. Excellent. Cool five points. Four for Team Shane. All right. Very good. Avrami, not bad. Not bad. Yes, he, lived in, he was living in Eretz Yisrael. He had the Schutz of Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov Vino was, was, was in Haran for 20 years. He didn't have this chus of living in Eretz for 20 years. So these are the two things that Esav has. So this is what the Rishonim say. Why was he so scared of uh, the bum? Because the bum has two mitzvahs that Yaakov lacked. The two mitzvahs that Yaakov lacked for 20 years. Keep it up, and living in Eretz Yisrael. Esav has that over him. So that he was afraid that that would be the nice. chus that would maybe perhaps turn the tables. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, but let's let's get back to the partial. Let's get back to Vayetze um, and Vayishlach over here. So... Um, when does Yaakov decide to return to Eretz Yisrael when Yosef is born? Because Rashi tells us Yosef is the opponent of Esav. He's the secret weapon against Esav. So that's very nice. But, but the question is, what exactly does Yosef bring to the table? What exactly, what exactly, I think, I, I, yeah, I need this, no, no, I'm simple. Mind if I need to I need these, thank you very much. Okay. So, um, so, um, so, um, Rabbi Isai, what exactly did Yosef bring to the table that that was so uh, that was so important that Yaakov needed needs Yosef, right? What did he need? What did he need? What did he need from Yosef? And let's ask a, a, another question: What exactly did Yosef do? We don't find actually that Yosef did very much in the parsha. Um, Yosef did not do very much in the parsha at the end of the day. What, what did he do in the showdown? Like the showdown, the end between Vayish and, and, and beginning Vayishlach and Yaakov and Esav is all of Yaakov's pl- planning and plotting and, 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 and strategizing. Yaakov breaks the camp up. Yaakov sends all these gifts to Esav and he bows down to Esav. Yosef is just like part of Yaakov's plan. So we're left wondering if it was so important by Yetzay to make sure Yosef is born before he goes back to face off Esav, where exactly does that come into play in the beginning of Vayishlach? What, what did Yosef do exactly? He wasn't involved. He wasn't involved in the end. Okay, that's one question. But let's ask some more questions over here. There's a funny kind of kind of exchange between Yaakov and Esav 
after the showdown, when, when Esav gives Yaakov all kinds of hugs and kisses, and he, his feelings are aroused for Yaakov, his feelings of, of, of um, brotherlyhood and compassion, perhaps, according to some opinions, and Yaakov convinces Esav to take the gifts, right? Yaakov, first Esav demurs, I don't want any of this stuff, I, I have tons and tons of stuff, Yaakov insists and persists, and finally he gets Esav to, to um, agree to take all this stuff. Okay, so we understand why Yaakov is so insistent that Esav should take all the, the gifts, because he has to placate him, he has to appease him, uh, so, so Esav shouldn't be upset about, about the birthright anymore, about the Bechayra. But then there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reciprocal exchange. After Yaakov convinces Esav to take all the goodies and the gifts, then Esav tries to convince Yaakov of something also. What does Esav try to convince Yaakov of? Who knows? Who, what? To stay, to stay with him. Excellent. Let's read that inside. Very good. It's page 178. Pazik Lama Gimel. Um, okay, let's read from Yud Aleph. Lama Gimel Yud Aleph, 33, verse 11, page 178. So Yaakov says, please accept all the gifts. Hashem has gifted me, and I have everything. Yaakov insisted, and Esav accepted it. Vayomer, now Esav says back to Yaakov, Nisa, let's travel together. Yaakov, you know, he puts his arm around Yaakov, you know, Jake, says Esav to Yaakov, probably, I'm sure you called him Jake, right? Didn't call him Yankel, called him Jake, <laughs> right? Let, let's, let's go back together, let's travel back together. He wants to travel together. Vayomer, Esav, so now Yaakov says to Esav, you love them, Rakim, you know, you know, Esav, I have all these little kids over here, you see all these I have lots of sheep and cattle with, with little babies. If I'm going to rush them, they're all going to die. I have to travel very slow. Not worth it for you. You go ahead. I'll take my time. I'll catch up to you. Wait for me by Seir. Wait for me by Harzair. You go ahead and I'll catch up. So Esav doesn't accept this right away. Esav says, Okay, I'll get it, but I want to leave some of my boys, some of my men with you. I want to have an entourage. Please let me have some people travel with you. Oh, you're so nice, you're too kind. I don't really need this. And he, he demurs a second time, and Esav at this point gives up. So we see there's an asymmetry between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov was insisting on something, and Esav demurred, but in the end, Yaakov insists and persists, and Esav accepts. And then Esav insisted on something, and Yaakov declines repeatedly, and Esav gives up. Esav gives up. The question is, we understand why Yaakov is insisting that Esav take the brach, take, take all the goodies and the, and the gifts and the, and the presents because he needs to calm Esav down to make sure Esav is not upset about the birthright. Okay, why is it so important to Esav to travel together with Yaakov? And why does the term make such a point out of it? Why does the term make such a deal, a production over here, such a production about, about the fact that Esav wants to travel together with Yaakov, and he wants to keep some of his men, men together with Yaakov, he wants to go together with Yaakov. Why is that so significant? Why is that so important? Why does the term make such a point out of it? That's the next question we have to ask her. Moving along in the partial, let's ask another question. We find something interesting as well. There's another exchange between, this time a more um, inglorious, a little bit of a... Of a, of a, of a um, gloomy episode in this week's parasha and that is of course the abduction of Dina the abduction the abduction of Dina 
um, by Hamor and the negotiations of, of, of Hamor and his father Shem with Yaakov to try to keep Dina as a bride. And <clears throat> there's a major kasha we got to ask over here. Kasha, that's such a big question. Nobody asks it, but once you see it, it bites you on the nose. Mamish bites you on the nose. Hamor abducts Dina. And he wants her as a wife. And he, he, he tells his father he wants Dina's wife. His father wants to take care of his son. His father knows how to wheel and deal, how to negotiate. So his father, Shem, goes to speak with, with, um, with Yaakov. I'm sorry, the, the Shem. Shem, I, I think I uh, apologize if I said that. I mix up the names over here. That makes Shechem with Chamor and Chamor with Shechem. Son of Chamor. Yes. Okay. Shechem is abducts Dina. Shechem wants to marry Dina, and Chamor, the father, decides to negotiate with Yaakov. And what do they want? Let's take a step back. What do they want? What does Shechem want? What does Shechem tell his father? What does he want? What's Chamor entering the negotiations regarding? What, what, what are we coming to the table to discuss? What do they want? It's fine. He wants Dina. He wants to marry Dina, correct? Shrem wants to marry Dina, Hamor wants to see his son happy. But listen to what kind of deal they, they, they make over here. Very strange. Listen to this. Okay, we are now on page 182. Perik Lama Pasik Tes, 34, verse 9. Let's go back to 8. Lama Dalad Ches. Perik 30, chapter 34, verse 8. Perik Lama Dalad Pasik Ches. Hamor Itam Lamer. So Hamor, the father of Shrem, spoke to to um, the children of Yaakov saying, Shechem b'ni chashka nafshay b'vitchem. My son Shechem, his heart is set on your daughter, on, on your sister Dina, on, on the daughter of Israel, Dina. Tenuna oiso loy liisha, let my son Shechem marry, marry Dina. Okay, as Maishi said, this is what they wanted. Now look what he goes on to say. Vizchatnu oisanu, and we'll make chasas with each other. You'll give us your daughters. You can take our daughters. We'll make lots of chasnas. We'll make lots of chasnas. You probably have a lot of girls. We have a lot of boys. We have girls. You have boys. No, we'll be mechutanim. We'll make lots of chasnas. Where did this pasuk come from? Everybody said this whole pasuk is so strange. Who said anything about making lots of chasnas? Shem didn't want that. Hamor didn't want that. Nobody had 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 raised this possibility. And as Hamor himself says, that the purpose of them coming to the table is to discuss the prospective marriage between Dino and Shechem. But it couldn't happen. What? It couldn't happen. Well, that's what they say back. He has he's, he's in his Gemalt, right? He needs, he's an oral. That's what you mean? No, he's uncircumcised. Right, he's an oral. Right, yeah, not Gemalt. Right. Yeah, yeah. Good, that, that, that's what they say back. But now, I'm asking a different question. I'm asking, where did this, where did this, this whole proposal come from? Let's start making chasses with each other. It, it's so strange. And so extraneous and so not what the, the, the discussion was about, not what the episode was about, not what the story is about, suddenly they go from talking about Dina marrying Shem to Gantz Kleiso making chasnas with with the Canaan, with the whole town of Shem. With the whole town. The daughters and the sons and the sons and the daughters. Where'd that come from? No one was talking about that. Like why are they even bringing that up? Why are they even bringing that up? Man as we would say. Who, who, who mentioned something who, who, and anything about this? Who, who mentioned anything about this? Where did this come from? Where did this come from? Let's, let's make that even... Let's, let's make the question even sharper. Like, you know, we say normally, Tafasa, Maruba, like Tafasa. Don't, don't, uh, 
Don't push your luck, right? Don't push your luck. Like, you guys will be happy if you get Dina. That's who you really want is Dina. Why are you pushing your luck by upping the ante and asking to make Klayisrael, like, a whole, a whole um, you know, series of marriages between Klayisrael and Shechem? So that's the next question that has to be asked over here. Now let's ask two more final questions to return to Yosef, but really questions, well, we're going to ask maybe three more questions, okay? Now hopefully we'll have enough time after all the questions to try to put some of these questions together. Um, there is, so this week's parsha we have as well um, the birth of the final Shevet, the 12th and last son of Yaakov is born in this week's parsha, that is Binyamin. Binyamin is born in this week's parsha. And it's interesting that not just one place, but two places in the Torah, the Torah makes a connection between Binyamin and Yosef. There's some kind of inherent connection between the two, some kind of link, specifically between these two brothers. Not just that they're, you know, children of obviously the same mother, but there's some kind of link between Yosef and Benjamin. Let me say that even better. We see some, some there's, there's a, a reference, an allusion in the Torah itself in two places, once in this week's parasha and once in last week's parasha, that it's almost that like Yosef is incomplete until Benjamin is born. And unless we have Benjamin, Yosef is not like Shalim. Yosef is not complete unless we have Benjamin. Two places where you see the Torah kind of making this statement, making this idea clear that Yosef is not complete until you have Binyamin. Even though Yosef is born, but Yosef is only half of what we really need, and Binyamin is the other half. Yosef is one half and Binyamin is the other half. And these are the only two Shvatim that you find that. That like each is one half to the other. Who can tell me what these two places are? One in this week's parasha and one in last week's parasha where you see this idea? Who can tell me one of the places? So I'll show you. I'll show you both places. But do you see it? Again, it's an eye-opening idea. Everyone understand what we're about to explore you together? We're discovering. The is in this week's parasha. Yosef is in last week's parasha. Okay. You see, um, I, I'm going to show you both. Let, okay. Let's first go back to Vayetze. Okay. We see in Vayetze that Yosef is really only half of the whole. Binyamin is the other half. They're like two brothers that function as two halves of one whole. You want to see something amazing, Rabbi Yosei? Yeah, let's... let's look at where Yosef is born. And where he's named, where he's named. So, what name was Yosef given? What did they name Yosef? Very good. What was it? Yosef. Very good. <laughs> did, so, he, did he have a, another name? Like no. An Egyptian name? Uh, yeah, that's later on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sofnas Paneach. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's coming up. Good for you, Herschel. Anyway, but Yosef's name was Yosef, right? So let's see that inside together. Page 156, Perik Lamed. Pasuch of Dal. Why was he called Yosef? Why was he called Yosef? Lamed Dalet. Perak Lamed Pasuk of Dalet. Why was he called Yosef? Because he increased something? He added something? Chasid Shabshad, maybe. What? Did he increase something? Yes, let's see, let's see, let's see. Look, let's see it together. Fatikra Shemo Yosef. Rachel called him Yosef Lamor. Why? Yosef means to add on, right? Yosef Hashem Li Ben Hashem should give me another son. You're not happy with this son? You're calling Yosef a name based on another son? Then Benjamin was another son. Oh, very good. Excellent. Excellent. Say it again. Say it again. 
Look, look, why, why is he called Yosef? Yosef Hashem li bein acher. Hashem should give me another son. So that means if you think about it, Yosef's name is really, is really a statement of, I still need another son. Yosef means, I'm waiting for another son. Yosef means, I'm named on account of the unborn brother, the unborn son that hasn't come along yet. Others singular or others plural? Like singular. No, ben acher, not bonem acherim, ben acher. Another son. So that's, that's a mind-blowing idea. Yosef's name is really a statement of I'm still waiting for another son. So he's not given his own name. His name is 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 like a a a a a, um, a, a, a blank. We're waiting to fill in the blank. Yosef, is, uh, we're waiting for Binyamin. Basically, Yosef's name means we're waiting for Binyamin. What? Okay, very good. Actually, that's a good question also. And then let's fast forward now to Vayishlach. We see the same thing in Vayishlach. That really, Binyamin is the second half of Yosef. We already see this in Vayetzeh. Yosef Yashem ben Acher. I have Yosef, but I'm, I'm, Yosef is only 50%. Give me the other half. I need the other half. Yosef ben Acher. Yosef's very name means I'm waiting for another son. Now look, look, let's look at Vayishlach. So in Vayishlach, Rachel Imenu is um, in, in, in labor and she's delivering and she's having a difficult delivery. And unfortunately, she passes away as... Her, her second son is born, and let's see that together. This is um, page 188, Perik Lamed Hay, Pasik Yudzain. Okay, chapter 35, verse 17. Vahibahak to what? Lamed Hay Yudzain, yeah. So it was Lamed Hey Yudzain Bakshoyes of Belitza. She was having a hard time with the delivery. So the midwife said to Rachel, "Al Tiri, Rachel, don't, don't, don't fear, don't be afraid." Kigamze Lochben. We we see that this is a boy. You're you're about to give birth, and he's a boy. So don't be afraid. He's a boy. Don't be afraid. He's a boy. But if it's a girl, she should be afraid. She's having another kid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. It's a boy. Don't worry. It's a boy. Right? Okay. What, what's you know what's that supposed to mean? Don't tell this to your mothers, guys. But but don't be afraid. It's a, it's a boy. It's a boy. Don't be afraid. What's what's the midwife saying? Why 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 should why was she afraid? And why now that I mean she's in the middle of dying, right? So they should, don't be afraid. You're gonna make it. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. But don't be afraid. It's a boy. So look at Rashi. Yudzain, crazy Rashi. Look at Rashi. We have the same thing again in Vayishlach. Kigamza, the midwife is telling Rachel. Don't be afraid because this one's also a boy. Gamze, nice of Lach al Yosef. Now you have an additional son together with Yosef. Right, it's right there, right? Black and white. In other words, she was concerned that maybe it wasn't a boy and she wasn't going to have the additional child that she needed together with Yosef. She said, last expression, Yosef Liashem ben Acher, I need another son to go together with Yosef. She was afraid that maybe this is a girl, she knows she's dying. Maybe it's a girl, not a boy. They're saying, don't worry. This is your other son. This is the second son. This is the one that needs to go together hand in hand with Yosef. Okay, she said, okay, she, that's, that's her comfort. That's her consolation. That's what she hears as she exits this world. Noisif says Rashi. Noisif loch al Yosef. Gamza, you have another son in addition to Yosef. This is the Yosef loch ben Acher that you wanted. So we see twice in Vayishach and Vayetzeh that Yosef needs a Binyamin. Binyamin goes hand in hand together with Yosef and that's what they were calming her down. That's what they were reassuring her regarding. Yes, you got the other son. You got the son that complements Yosef. The question is, what's this complementary 
system over here. How is it that Binyamin is the complementary device to Yosef? Why is that Yosef is a Binyamin? Why is that Yosef is 50% and Binyamin is 50%? And that we need both of them to go hand in hand. We know both of them to go together. Finally, let's ask one last question. And then uh, this is going to be very ambitious. We're going to have to try to squeeze quite a lot into the remaining three minutes or so that we're going to have to admire. But the final question is, why is Binyamin called Binyamin? So Rachel, we know, calls him Ben-Oini, the child of my suffering. And Yaakov calls him Ben-Yamin. What does Ben-Yamin mean? Why does he call him, call him Ben-Yamin? What? He's born in Eretz Israel. Actually, he's the only one that's born in Eretz Israel. Now, why is the Yamin? Why does that mean Eretz Israel? What does Yamin mean? Ben Yamin. What does Yamin mean? The right. The right. So why is the Ben Yamin called? He should be called Ben Sion, right? I don't know, Ben Sion. The right side. is on the right. The right is is relative, right? Right now, Herschel's on my left, right? Yeah. I turn around, and you're on my right. I mean, right and left is relative. You, you mean right is how you refer to Eretz Yisrael on the right? If I turn around, then Eretz is on my left. Why does Ben Yamin, the son of the right, refer to Eretz So Rashi says what you guys are saying, but 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 what's the answer to my question? Why is it that Eretz is on the right? What makes Eretz on the right? What? It's what? It's it's on your right when you're coming from Kharan. When you're coming to Eretz Yisrael, you're going from, from you're going from north to south. And you go to, from north to south, Eretzol is on the right. So if you think about it, so Binyamin is called Binyamin because he was born in Eretzol. And why do we call him Binyamin? Because that's a way of saying that he was born in Eretzol because Eretzol is on the right when you're coming from Kharn. That's kind of weird, no? If you want to call him for all eternity a name that has to do with Eretzol, so call him, like we said, Ben Sion. Right? Ben Sion means the son of Sion. That's Eretzol. Why are you calling him a name based on grotto where Yaakov was coming when he was coming back there's so a from Haran geographically Erzul is on the right oh so that makes sense if you want to refer to Erzul you talk about the direction that where Erzul was when I was coming back from Haran yeah, that, 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 that's odd that's very strange why if you want to have a name that's going to immortalize the idea of Erzul for all time, for all generations, you're going to use it based on something that was very, like a one-time thing where Erzul happened to be geographically when he was traveling back from Haran. That's the best way, referring to Erzul, right? You understand? And if he'd be coming the other direction, Erzul would be on the left. If he come from Mitzrayim, Erzul is on the left. So if he would have come from Erzul, if he would come from Mitzrayim, you'd call him Ben Smol, right? It just happened to be coming from the north, so you call him Ben Benjamin. Very strange. That's the best way of referring to Erzul. Okay, so these are a lot of questions. I don't know. And, I, thought it was, I thought it was because he was born in Jacob's old age. No, so, so Rashi says, Rashi says yeah. exactly what the Eilam is saying. Yeah. That he came from Erzul. Everyone put it together. He came from Eretz, he was coming from Kharan. When he came from Kharan, Erzul is on the right. So Ben Yamin is, is, is where, is where Erzul is. But why is that the best way of referring to Erzul? Based on the directions that he happened to be traveling at that point in time. Why does that capture Erzul forever? You just call him Ben Ben Haaretz, Ben Eretz Yisrael, Ben Tzion. Okay, so then we have a lot of questions. Let's try to put the whole thing together. Um, so we're going to compress a lot. We're, we're, we're in crunch time right now, in compression time, in crunch time. So we wanted to know how Yosef was the secret weapon against Asaph. We want to know what's his relationship between Yosef and Yemen. Why is Yosef 50% and Yemen is 50%? Why the two of them go hand in hand? And why are you calling him Yemen based on the directions where you're coming from when you come into Eretz Yisrael? And what is going on that Asaph is insisting on having people there and Hamor and Shemer insisting on making all these chasnas that, that nobody talked about. The answer is like this. 
Yosef and Yaman do have two jobs that go hand in hand. And the job of Yosef and Yaman is twofold. Together, they're there to do the following. Yosef's job is to make sure that Klai Yisrael and the Goyim stay separated. We have to be separated. And the moment we are encountering Goyim, which Yaakov now has a Klai Yisrael, now that he's leaving Lovin's house, going to Lovin's house, there's no Klai Yisrael. Leaving Lovin's house, there's Klai Yisrael. The moment there's a Klai Yisrael, Goyim wants assimilation. Goyim wants to be involved in Klai Yisrael. They want to blend and blur. They want to cross the lines. They want to make Klai Yisrael part of them. They covet Klai Yisrael. They understand Klai Yisrael has a lot to bring to the table. They, 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 they uh, are enticed by this concept and they try to entice us. They try to entice us with the concept of assimilation. This is the first time there's a power of an enticement of assimilation. Yosef's ability is to block and stop assimilation. This is why both Esav and Chamor and Shem are both really going the same direction. What's Esav doing? We ask, why is Esav insisting, let me accompany you, let me walk with you, let me send people to be there together with you. Esav believes that Esav and Yaakov can have something to do with each other. Esav believes that we can get along. Esav believes that, that we can unite. We can unite and blend. That's why it's so important to Esav to have people there. Chamor and Shechem believe the same thing. They don't just want to make a chasa between Dina and Shechem. Let's make chasas back and forth. You'll send us your girls, we'll send us Arab girls, we'll send us your boys, we'll send us your Arab boys, right? Because we believe that we can be compatible. They believe there's compatibility between the Goyim and the Yid. Yosef's Kayach is to block that. And Yosef is a secret weapon. There's one thing that he does. He stands tall and proud in front of his mother. He doesn't let Esav look at his mother, look at Rachel. And that's what Yosef does in the show. Then we ask, how is Yosef's secret weapon? Yosef's power is to block assimilation. To say, you're not making any, any inroads. Esav, you're not coming into Klaisol. Even your histaklis, even your gaze, even your foul glare is not going to come into Klaisol because we stop the compatibility. There is no compatibility. But that's only half of it. We only have Yosef. We say, Yosef the Hashem ben Acher. We've stopped assimilation. But what are we all about? We kept the going out. But Ben Yamin's complementary part to Yosef is to say after we have blocked the Goyim from making inroads we have to make a statement with Klai Yisrael is all about. We're not just about not being Goyim. We're not just about blocking the Goyim. We're not just about blocking Chamor Shem. We're about an Eretz, a Klai Yisrael that has a mission, that has a purpose and by blocking at the Goyim we're now able to do our purpose of going to Eretz Yisrael. Going from the Goyim to Eretz Yisrael. This transition of leaving the Goyim behind and making an Aliyah in a sense a, a, a transcending the realm of the Goyim and going to Eretz Yisrael and that's what Binyamin's job is and Binyamin's building off of Yosef that's why the Yosef leave in Acher after Yosef has sealed out the Goyim Yosef stands tall and blocks Esau from, 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 from Klaisol and, 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 and Yaakov uses that Kayach to tell Yosef stay away you're not traveling with us we tell Chamor and Shechem we're not making any chasses with you Binyamin's job is to build off of that and to bring us to purpose now that we've shown that there's no compatibility, it brings us to the purpose of our mission, Eretzel. And that's why Ben is called Ben Yamin, because Eretzel is on your right. When you're coming from Charan, because the whole Vard of Ben Yamin is to say what the purpose of Klai Yisrael is. Klai Yisrael's purpose is to make that ascent, to rise up from Charan, to rise up from the Goyim, to rise from amongst the Goyim, from amid the Goyim, and to leave the Goyim behind, and to ascend to Eretzel. It's about the ascent, it's about the journey. It's not just about being in Eretzel, it's about the journey from the Goyim to Eretzel. Thank you all for joining, and everyone should have a wonderful Shabbat.